Crawlers. We would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we will cross the lands of Mordor and go into the deepest of dungeons to discover your villain. Basically, we are going to talk about building villains in your story, your game, uh, video game, board game, role-playing game, uh, your short story, your novella, your novel, where you're just telling a scary story at the campfire. That is the point of tonight's episode. And in the past, those of you who have been listening to the show for some time, you might recall that we've talked about what makes an effective villain or why we like villains so much. We have two new voices on the show since that episode, so it might be worthwhile to revisit some of those points. So, as always, this is Daniel. Followed by his second-in-command, Krebs. Krebsito! And I am Krebs Grande! <laughs> you folks at home, you have no idea how true that statement is. <laughs> and I am not a Krebs. And I am not a Heather. My name is Willow, and I'm weird. (laughs) And we love you. Yes, villains are an integral part of any story. That's what helps drive the story. Because without a villain, we can't really go anywhere. I mean, everyone's just going to be kind of dealing with life and stuff like that. You always have to have a villain to kind of have actions happening and call the hero into the story. You know, so we can get engaged into the hero's journey. Uh, you know, Star Wars had Darth Vader. You see him walk in after the stormtroopers in his jet black armor with flowing cape. And his voice just resonates. You know, James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. And you immediately know this is the bad guy. Um, you know, when we're watching uh, Game of Thrones and Joffrey is throwing his fits. We know he's a bad guy, and we want to see him murdered badly. Um, even Hans Gruber from Die Hard is a fantastic oh, yes. villain. Um, and one that, I mean, he's not like some overpowered powerhouse slaughtering people, but he's simple uh, and very well spoken. So our villains come with a lot of different flavors. Starting this, I'd like to, like, you know, how do we build a really good villain uh, for let's either a story or role-playing? Let's kind of define into those at the moment. What are the characteristics we need? I, I would like to propose that there's at least three dimensions, and I probably haven't got them all, so you guys add a few more if you think that I'm missing something here. All right. But I judge a villain um, by their invulnerability to harm from the protagonists, their ability to do harm to others, including the protagonists uh, and their insane level of insanity. The idea that they're completely unpredictable or they're behaving in a fashion that is inhuman or hard for a sane, normal person to relate to, you know, consider the, uh, the Joker, any, iteration you want the scariest thing about the joker is he doesn't make sense he's Mm. just psychopathic homicidal and you never know where it's coming from next who he's going to let off the hook because he just feels like it and who he's going to shove a pencil through their brain i 
I want to kind of reframe that because I think the scariest thing about the Joker is he does make sense, but he doesn't make sense within the boundaries of civilized rules. But when you see that he operates outside those boundaries and he does so, so efficiently and consistently, and we consider it unpredictable because it breaks our rule set, but he has his own unspoken set of rules or rather he has a he has a great lack of civilized rules we don't know how to operate in that space and he mm-hmm. does and that's where he comes through with his threat and that's how he becomes a why why we would consider him a villain because the rule set that he operates with is so alien to ours yeah consider also the and forgive me i the formics the formics from ender's game were the big villain mm. Until we understood what they were going through, but they were just doing what they wanted, what they needed to do because that made sense and they were alien, but that made them the bad guys until, until we finally could comprehend their, their rule set. And then it it kind of switched. Um, So those, so those are three different dimensions. And I think that most villains would fall some would be able to be rateable, you know, if you're doing a 10 scale in each of those three dimensions for what makes them a villain. Is there a fourth dimension here that I may have overlooked? Well, I mean, one dimension is they believe they're the hero in their own story. Obviously they believe that they are doing the right thing. I mean, I think, I think that's what makes a great villain. And we've talked, and we talked about this in the previous episode, but, but the idea is that the villain has conviction and genuinely believes in their mind that they're doing the right thing. The best villains are not the villains that are like, like, I, I think we've talked about this before too. The villains in Captain Planet are all the worst villains ever. Oh yeah. Because their <laughs> their goal is to destroy the planet. And then it's like, okay, hang on a second. Let's play the tape all the way through. Let's assume for a moment that you actually do what it is you set out to do. What are you going to be left with? And the answer is nothing. But the villains that are truly the best villains, the ones that are the most scary, the ones that carry the most threat and the most, I like the term jeopardy, the Mm -hmm. one like, like Matthew, your three dimensions to me, that was three dimensions of jeopardy. And we'll get into that more later if you want. But, um, but the villains that are the most uh, terrifying, most likable, most effective as a villain are the ones who genuinely believe in what it is that they're doing. And to Daniel's point, they are the hero of their story. Well, yeah, I mean, example, like Lex Luthor, okay? Lex Luthor is bending rules and laws because he is convinced that Superman's really the villain. He He's, you know, the head of a, you know, an invading force or, or whatever, you know, twist of the story is, yeah, that's always been his, his crutch is Superman's the bad guy. And I have to protect the world. Um, now the question is, how does that fit in? Cause I do believe there is something there that sh- gives another dimension to the villainhood. I was thinking of this episode from Firefly called Heart of Gold mm. and uh, Captain Mal goes into town to meet with the bad guy. They have a little back and forth and uh, he, he insults him beautifully. I loved it. And then he comes back and he tells the uh, the, the, the the ladies of the evening at the um, house that they were supposed to protect. He said they says, well, what are we supposed to do? You, you've met the bad guy. He says, leave. This guy is a religious fanatic and it wasn't, it wasn't religion as in worshiping a divine being is that he had religious conviction 
of what he believed. And there was, he said, you, you, you can't reason with this guy. You won't be able to, to buy him off. You, there's no way to deal with this guy in a rational fashion. And so the, to go with, to go back to what, uh, Krebs said. So we've got jeopardy. I, I, there, I've got, I wish I had better words for these things. Um, cause you got people that are in highly in control like Hans Gruber, he couldn't be touched for the most part, or it was extremely yeah. difficult to do any harm to him or to his organization because he had absolute control. So control is one form of invulnerability. Then you've got other people that can do such great harm, like the Purple Man. Not only mm -hmm. does he have some degree of invulnerability, because as soon as he sees you or is aware of you, he can tell you not to hurt him. Folks at home, the Purple Man does not refer to Thanos, but rather to the villain from Jessica Jones. Yes, played by <laughs> David Tennant. <laughs> and, but he also has a great deal of, of jeopardy, if we want to use that term, because he can tell you, oh, go kill yourself. And you would. I noticed that Willow has not weighed in yet, and she is probably the most prolifically published author in this group, um, for sure. So I want to hear her take on villains. Um, but I want to add to what Matthew just said, which is, I think that there's typically, and maybe this is too, maybe this is too binary, maybe this is too two dimensional, but villains for me tend to land somewhere on a gamut of raw physical power to uh, cerebral strength, right? And um, some villains will have uh, a healthy dose of both. Uh, I, Thanos was fairly intelligent when it came to uh, strategy, when it came to war, and his physical strength bested the Hulk. But he wasn't the cerebral villain that you might see. I mean, maybe he's similar to Magneto, but he was more mission-driven. He was more passion-driven. Yeah. Uh, Magneto is extremely cerebral. Uh, and then you, you have Grand Admiral Thrawn, who is incredibly cerebral. Vader is kind of closer to Thanos in the sense that he has raw power as well as intellect. But he's, he's typically power and manipulation. Right. So for me, there's like this, there's like this gamut of like, and maybe it's not a gamut. Maybe it's more like attributes, but I tend to think of like the, the common villain that you see is either super duper strong or super duper smart. And typically speaking, if you're going to be heavy in one, you're going to be lower in the other. Right. But, but there's also villains or rather antagonists to be less human centric uh, that are absolutely mindless, but voracious and unstoppable and deadly. Think of the movie Contagion. Mm. The antagonist in there is the virus. This touches on something I wanted to bring up, which is not every villain is a persona, is a person. Right. right? And there are other movies where it's a natural disaster. Again, something absolutely mindless, but invulnerable and highly deadly. But I am curious what, what Willow has to say. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Um, yeah. Are you I also think curious that, what Willow has to say? I was curious. She has yes, no idea. I was going to say. <laughs> I think that it's interesting to bring up the idea of uh, villain versus antagonist, because I think antagonist is a very different concept than villain. A villain True. connotates a human. Uh, antagonist does not. You can have an antagonistic be a concept or a feeling or god or love or whatever but uh, a villain is a is a is a person 
right? And I think that what makes a villain fantastic is um, that they are relatable, that there is an emotional core that has been twisted, that there is a part of them that we recognize in ourselves as being the potential for making us a villain. And I think that that's uh, something really important, not just that um, they think that they're the the hero of their story, which I think we all do, but I think it the concept that there is a um emotional component to this character that has been defiled, and because of that they uh they they took the wrong path uh there but the for the grace of God go I right and um and that's why it terrifies us because we're like, oh, I could turn into Darth Vader or. You know, Pennywise. We should be so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we've often talked on the show that the difference between a hero and a villain is one bad day or one yeah. choice, right? Sure. Like m- one of my all-time favorite um, alternate takes on Batman where instead of uh, his parents being killed, uh, instead Bruce is killed in That's the alley. That's the flashpoint. Yeah, That's flashpoint. And you can find this online, and I highly recommend that you go find this. There's actually like a like a like a like a vertically long comic strip version of this. It's very it's very brief, but what happens? You don't is... even need to do that. Sorry to interrupt. Um, oh, no, go ahead. They actually have a DC animation actually made that a movie. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah, so you can even watch it that way. For for me, I saw it in the frame by frame comic book style, and I felt like it had yeah. such immense impact because I yeah. was discovering it like one step at a time, right? Um, but what happens is with the death of Bruce, Thomas Wayne becomes Batman because of the tragedy of losing his son. Martha Wayne becomes the Joker because of the tragedy of losing her son. They had the exact same tragedy. They have a love and a bond with each other that is unique. But one becomes the hero trying to save others from such a thing. And the other is tormented and demented by that experience and it it just speaks so beautifully and loudly to the concept of the difference between a hero and a villain is one bad day and a choice there was a movie and i haven't seen it but i understand the uh the synopsis called brightburn and it basically oh i love that movie Yeah, it's a it's a variation on a theme of okay, alien crash lands on earth and instead of being raised by uh uh martha and Jonathan Kent, Jonathan Kent, yeah, uh, is in, uh, instead is raised by another family that tried to raise him well, but this kid just does not have the heart of Kal El. This is not going to be Superman. He gets his powers, and he's homicidal. Yeah, yeah. the 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 small version is: What if Superman was a bad kid? Yeah, 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 and uh, and then it and all. Well, I won't ruin the end of it, uh, but I remember reading about this and just the concept, because I am a, a sucker for a great story, for a great what-if concept. Uh, Krebs will remember growing up, I we always had uh, Analog and Asimov science fiction magazines, yes. fantasy and mm-hmm. science fiction as well. Uh, these were just, they were, they were pulp magazines published monthly, but they always had these great short stories in them. And I just devoured those all the time because for me, science fiction is always what if there's mm-hmm. this interesting scientific principle or concept how does this affect society? And those are the things that always stimulate me intellectually and get me invested in the story. 
The same thing for the, the, these these villains. Uh, consider Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn. The seed of that fantastic series is, what if the Dark Lord won? Yeah. And beyond that, what if it was a good thing that the Dark Lord won? Mm. Well, I mean, not only that, look at Steelheart, another one of Brandon's books. I was thinking of that one, yeah. yeah. I mean, Steelheart is a great series because basically all these super-powered people have gone bad. You know, power corrupts, you know. And, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so it's really interesting to see that. Um, you know, and... You know, again, Killing Joke is another great example of mm-hmm. one bad day creating a villain. Um, and sometimes it's not just a bad day. It's a series of bad days over and over. Um, where, yeah, but there's, there's always like – there's that fork in the road. Where yeah, the, there where is the, a defining moment, yes. There's that choice, right? Yeah, there is a defining moment. But generally, I mean there are some villains where it's it's beat into them. You know, they've gone through and uh, you know, look like Cletus Cassidy, uh, Carnage. Mm-hmm. You know, he, his mom died. He had a very abusive father, beat the crap out of him. He started killing animals. He eventually then killed dad. And then he just went on. Yes, there was a defining moment when he killed dad that, that really created the monster that it is. But there were things that led up to yeah, that's that. true. That really made it easy to fall into that dark villain category. So, so allow me to kind of like, Allow me to kind of like pull this back in the direction of the topic, which is, okay, so we understand some of the mechanics that make a villain. Why do we care about what makes a villain? What what purpose or what value does that bring to the table if we know what creates a villain? How can we turn this into something that's useful when like crafting a, a game villain or a game antagonist? The Well, didn't didn't the Joker say something along those lines to Batman at one point? That without me, you don't exist, something along those lines. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it is. I mean, you have to have that foil to help progress the story. I mean, so why does it matter why they're a villain? Like, why does it matter why they made this choice or what their background is? Why does any of that matter? Like, if you look at the Heath Ledger Joker, mm-hmm. we, in, in all the other versions of Batman, whenever you come across Joker, there is some explanation for how Joker became that weird clown prince thing, right? Yeah. But then in the Heath Ledger version, he's like, you want to know how I got these scars? And then he tells a story. And the first time you hear it, it's believable. You're like, that's the story. Then he goes on and he does it again and he tells another story that is completely unrelated. And comes the question like, are both of these stories true? Are none of these stories true? Like, what is the what's the reality here? Mm-hmm. Um, so, in truth, the Heath Ledger version of Joker, we don't know why he became that. We don't know how he got those scars. We don't know why he's the way that he is. We just know that he is, and he's an incredibly effective antagonist. So, yeah. why does it matter if we understand what makes a villain? Does that play a role in your game creation, for example? Can you, Does it bring value? Can you have it, not have it? Like, wh- where do we fall on that? What's the importance of a villain's yeah. backstory? I mean, the the really unfortunate side of that is there was supposed to be another film or two with that with the Joker. Yes, that's true. So we didn't get that opportunity to find out that story. Um, at least when I've, you know, and maybe this is my perspective, especially when I'm creating villains and that people want to know the reason this, the villain is who the villain is. Even in Mistborn, we discover that we know he's the bad, you know, the Lord ruler is this bad guy. 
from the perspective we're given. And then we learn why he did the things he did. And that kind of, I mean, I, I know part of that is to humanize, you know, the villain, but it's to allow us to understand their motivation. That way we buy into the villain more. That's at least my opinion. Because if I can, if I'm buying into the villain, I definitely, I'm more in, interested in the story. I'm interested in the outcome. And I definitely want to know more about the villain, which continues to draw, drag me into the story. I, I think it's worth also saying that sometimes you don't have to understand the villain. Well, what Willow was saying earlier, one of the things that makes a villain terrifying is if it's something you can relate to. So sometimes an, uh, uh, the creator of the antagonist or whatever will give you that backstory so you can understand them. And the fact that you, there, but for the grace of God go, I is the fear part that makes that villain scary. But then there's other ones where you don't get any backstory and the fear of that villain comes from perhaps one of these other two dimensions. They're just incredibly deadly. Uh, Krebs, we, you, you ran a rifts game and I think it was the uh, man in white. And it was time, dead rain. That was dead rain. It was dead rain. Yeah. Um, and every time he came around, we started smelling rotten strawberries. It was his calling card. And we had no idea who this person was. All we knew is that whenever he came around, it was bad news and it was time to run. We needed to run, run fast. Uh, that was a scary, scary villain but we had no idea his motivations we didn't know his objectives we didn't know we didn't even know his name he was just the man in white and we didn't want nothing to do with him uh but then there are others that you do understand especially the serial killer type of things if they can get you to understand ted bundy or the zodiac killer we're disgusted at him because we're disgusted at our own ability or potential to become like him so it's not that it's a one or the other it's just that it's different ways a villain becomes frightening yeah i think that what's so interesting about that i i love what you just said that's so cool uh what's really interesting is that the reason why villains work for us is because they elicit a response, right? We recognize them. We have emotional connection with them or they just scare the crap out of us. Like we have um, these kind of gut instincts to these people. And um, I think that's, that's a really great point because if we can identify what the, our response is, whether we're angry or whether we're afraid, we can kind of dig deeper and see what the underlying emotion is for that and why that is so effective. Like, why is Darth Vader so great? Is it because he's, uh, like, just big and kind of terrifying? Or is it because he's powerful and we feel like we're not powerful? Because that's really valuable. It, the fear is the second emotion always. So if you can pull fear back, then you can go back beyond and you can find what the nut of what actually creates that fear is. Oh, it's the same way with anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. So um, that brings me to, uh, as I'm thinking about this in the framework of what makes a villain either um, compelling or fun or engaging or, a, uh, for lack of a better term, attractive, like what draws us to the villain or appreciate the villain in our stories, be they game or book, 
um, I, I am curious, like what qualities makes a solid villain that is fun to play against or engaging to read about? What makes a in your in your opinions, all three of you, uh, give me like one or two, like give me like two solid characteristics or attributes of a villain that you find engaging to read about or fun to play against. So I'm about to say something true and that only my friends know about me. I have a a problem with Kylo Ren. Okay. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I think we all so, do. <laughs> and I probably have a different kind of problem than you do. That's okay. I find him to be quite attractive. So um, this is a problem. Uh, he, but I think the reason why he is so engaging is because he's insane. <laughs> he's incredibly powerful. He is terrifying, but he also has this deep crevice of flaw. He's a very, very flawed. Um, and as uh, as a watcher, as a lady watcher. Um, I love that flaw that my gut instinct is to want to go in and be like, fix the crevice, you know, fill it up with me and make him better. But I don't want him to be better, really. I really want him to be terrible um, because he's scary and scary is also sexy. So I think for me, um, a really good villain is smart, kind of dangerous um and and flawed fixable like with the right person that that character could be fixed they could be rehabilitated even though they never should be i think this is great so you hit on two things one it 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 hits on your rescuer feelings you you know you need to rescue them you you, got to save them and then two uh oh he's a bad boy and that attracts women too. Um, it's true. But I mean, we can see those, uh, those elements. Um, but even with some of our heroes, a lot of our, sometimes our heroes even attempt to try to save the bad guy. Um, you know, we try to, we see that uh, in a lot of these and that kind of drives that forward. All right. So my two things to add to what Willow added would be, that the villain has to have some sort be obsessed or have some extreme focus towards a goal. The villain has a mission. Yeah, some mission. And then the other thing is that there is some component of them that is a foil or opposite of the hero or heroes that conflicts with them. For me, two things are, one, they need to be, Power, they need to be powerful enough that they are a challenge for the protagonist because there's a, it's this underdog story. That's what everybody roots for is the, is, is the David versus Goliath kind of a situation. Um, a one in a million chance. That's what is, that's what makes it a story and not another day. Uh, and the second thing is that, uh, they need to deserve their comeuppance. I don't like, it when it's kind of a half good guy, but he has to die in the end anyway, because he's the bad, he's the villain. It's like, no, no, no. I don't want to be conflicted in my conscience about the bad things happening to the bad guy. Right. For for me, this is just for me personally. I'm not saying that everybody has to feel this way, but you, but what makes a good villain for me is when 
even if they are conflicted about what they're doing, um, my sense of justice needs to be satisfied. They deserve what's coming to them when they're defeated at the end. So kind of rewinding it back to your, so that you're saying the villain has to be stronger than the hero. I said, what are things that make uh, the question was what makes a villain enjoyable to me? Okay. And that would be one of the things is that when the, when this hero has to stretch and come a long distance and he's the underdog or she or whomever uh, is the underdog defeating the more powerful uh, enemy because it's right. Right I mean, must prevail okay. kind of a thing. Yeah, because when you mentioned that, a, a villain came to mind that is quite the opposite of that. Mr. Glass. Mm. Uh-huh. He is not super powerful. And yet the hero is because um, he's unbreakable. So, uh, but again, that's kind of that foil. It's the opposite of our hero. So, you know, and that's very interesting going to, uh, not, was it split? No, Mr. Split. Glass, yeah. Glass, yeah. Yeah. the movie Glass. That's so part of that. One, um, yeah. You have Glass who is highly vulnerable, but is very deadly. Yeah. And then because of just the things that he puts together and is able to do, you have Split who is completely alien with his multiple personalities. And then you've got uh, Unbreakable, who is not not a villain, uh, but in that trio, he represents that third dimension I brought up at the beginning of this. He's invulnerable. You know, he's got one weakness, but other than that, he's indestructible. So if he did decide to go bad, you've got your villain trifecta right there. Yeah. And and for me, what makes like a villain enjoyable, and this is very much in alignment with what you guys are saying. Uh, I, again, I use the term Jeopardy. I, I figured out through much trial and error that games or stories are not fun and enjoyable if there's not risk involved. There has to be some, uh, we can use the term threat, we can say the D stands for danger, we can do whatever, right? But but there needs to be Jeopardy uh, that is uh, encroaching on the heroes, on the protagonists, on the people that we wish to save. There needs to be threat. Second, there needs to be a way, a way for the heroes to win. It doesn't have to be a guarantee that they win. And it doesn't have to be a guarantee that they already possess that ability. There just needs to be some path to victory that they could achieve, but that could be stymied by the Jeopardy. And third, the the villain or the antagonist has to be believable in its context we don't have to agree with their motivations to understand what the motivation is we don't necessarily have to know why the motivation is as long as we understand that there is this motivation right we have to believe that when they say they're going to do something or when they're motivated to some action we have to believe they're going to do that thing and that it's not a hollow threat otherwise the jeopardy goes down there it's almost like like uh like like a supporting triangle where like all three of these points have to be present at the same time for all points to have value. But the, the biggest thing is there has to be jeopardy there. It has to be believable and there has to be a way to win. Yeah. It's really funny. Um, I was about to say that kind of that similar thing, which is that um, I think what's really important with a villain is that they are consistently developed so that even if they are an unreliable narrator, if they're an inconsistent character. And I keep thinking of Moriarty from Sherlock, mm. uh, which is, he's just so brilliant. He's one of my favorite. Uh, so villains. great. 
but I, what is so great about him is that he is so true to the insanity of playing that portrayal, right? He's so uh, consistently unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's really important um, in just having a character that follows their rules always even if we don't always know the rule if even if the rule hasn't been specifically explained to us we get the impression that the character has a set of rules has a moral component and that they are following it to a t yeah i mean we see the same thing with uh hyde from dr jekyll and mr hyde um you know his morality, his compass, moral compass is completely different than, than Dr. Jekyll. And it's so foreign to us. Um, and I think that is a good component. I mean, even the Joker has a moral component to him. It's just so skewed from our own. It just seems outright outlandish and crazy. So is there a way for us to distill this down to like key bullet points that the listeners can take away to use as a framework for antagonist generation? Well, one, one of the things has to be the, the villain has to be a challenge to the protagonist. The villain has to be a, a challenge to the hero. Uh, if they are too easy to kill, we call those foot soldiers. Those are minions. Those yeah, are not those are the ads. villain. <laughs> so they've got to do that. And, um, they and then there needs to be something interesting about them. And I keep coming back to what Willow said at the beginning there, but for the grace of God, go I. That right there is something that you know, and with this talk of multiverse and alternate timelines and stuff in recent pop culture, uh, you know, what if you had a villain that would be close to the hero in another timeline, but just went a different direction. I think that's great. And another thing I would say is what is it about this villain that instills fear? My, my opinion this, I'm just throwing this out there. If a villain doesn't inspire fear, doesn't pose some jeopardy as Krebs says, then are they a villain or are they an annoyance? Yeah. Well, and the other thing I would add is, just like the hero or heroes, the villain is going to learn and evolve. They have to. They can't stay static. They have to grow. They have to change. Because if they don't, then you're pretty much fighting a rock. Um, oh, you mean like Superman Returns? <laughs> In Superman Returns, well, he fought a rock. <laughs> Willow is disagreeing. This is I, I do. Great. I disagree with that. I think... Honestly, that the only character that truly has to have change, and and even this is not a hundred percent, but I think that the character that that is that I'm more excited about changing is our hero, and that's yeah. the only person that has to make any change. I think for it to be a narrative that's really fulfilling, and in fact, I believe that um, narratives where the uh, antagonist doesn't change can be incredibly powerful. I mean, it, there there's often time uh, maybe an anagnorinesis, right? Like this moment when the villain recognizes, oh, I screwed up. But I don't think that change is necessary for me for a villain to be really a great villain. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times they are a yardstick character that uh, we we kind of 
pit our hero against. And as long as uh, our hero changes more than our villain, we still win. Um, I, I think that that, it, that can be true so long as we don't violate the rule of challenge, because I do agree with Matai that the, 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 the antagonist has to pose a challenge, right? That's part of Jeopardy. Um, th- they have to be the opposing force. The universal law concept of there must be opposition in all things. The reason that the antagonist exists is because the heroes exist and vice versa, right? They, they, they are opposing forces. So if the hero changes, which I agree with you, the most observable change should be in our heroes because our heroes yeah. are typically the re- the reader and or the player, right? Um, the most change must occur there. However, if the hero ever outpaces the villain, if the hero becomes too powerful or if the hero becomes more powerful such that the original challenge is no longer a challenge, then I think it necessitates that the villain also evolve and adapt so that it can be that opposing force. What do you think about that? I wonder about that just because I think sometimes the the hero or sorry, sometimes the villain is already up armored from day one. He's just really strong. He's really big, which is why he's so scary. And I keep going back to Darth Vader. He is mm-hmm. huge. He is scary. He is all powerful. He is a demigod, really. And then we have Luke Skywalker, who is just a nerd. He drinks blue milk. So yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, he was going to go true. to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. <laughs> <laughs> go to Tashi Station. Uh, anyway, but that's, you know, so he rises to the challenge. Does Vader make a massive change at the very, very end? I don't, I wouldn't yeah. say massive well, change, but but does he remain a challenge? And the answer is yes. Yeah, yeah I mean, and, and that's where I mean when I say they has to evolve because you can't have hero go into you know fight a and do the same thing and then they come back he get they get defeated they come back for fight b it's the same things over and over because if that happens that villain's gonna you know wait a minute he's doing the same thing i just sidestep bash him over the head game over um so the villain changes and growth will be minute it's much smaller than the heroes the heroes is going to be much bigger obviously yeah i think that that's probably true So I want to go to Wheel of Time. We have a hero there that experiences massive growth, right? And he's fighting Dark One, the Forsaken, and all the Shadow Spawn minions. Rand in the first three books is massively underpowered compared to the main uh, opponent, Baalzaman. But somehow he defeats him because of of uh, luck, force of will, the pattern wills it so. Uh, but then after that, he begins to grow and he starts racking up a body count. There were 13 forsaken servants of the Dark One and he, you start keeping score. Well, he knocked this one out and that one out. And But then towards the end, it's obvious he is powerful enough that now the forsaken who survive are scared of him and don't want to face him anymore. But... There is something that happens in one of the last few books because he's allowed himself to care. He has a weakness and Mm. Semiraj ends up forcing him to do something without doing spoilers here uh, to put his loved ones in extreme jeopardy and it breaks him. So even though the hero at that point is appears to be more powerful than most of the, the villains that he has to fight, 
he still has an Achilles heel, as it were, a a a, a weakness, and they trigger that, and that is just, it. It was just almost traumatizing to read that. Yeah, I think that from my from my perspective, I think that I get behind the idea that a villain will change tactics. The hero, as they as they progress, always mm-hmm. force the villain to do something new, maybe outside of their own comfort zone. But I don't equate changing tactics with fundamental emotional change. Mm. And I think that's what we're talking about, right? The hero makes a change. There's an arc of the character. And oftentimes our villains don't have those same arcs. And the question becomes, do we have to have a character arc for the villain for us to want that villain in our story, right? Is having a, a fulfilling character arc for the villain as important as a fulfilling character arc for our main character? I mean, that's a really good question because, I mean, we kind of sort of see that in Deadpool, Deadpool too. You know, there's the kid that, you know, Cable comes back in time to kill because he's this big overarching bad guy. And then Deadpool, his whole quest during the, the movie is to save this kid and change his future output. So I, you know, and during that movie, you're really rooting for that to happen. Um, in the comic, uh, in the DC comics, uh, events happen that eventually turn makes it. So Lex Luthor is now a good guy. You know, he's using his power suit and fighting alongside Superman. No one trusts him, of course, in the beginning. But we do kind of see that redemption arc where he's kind of like, okay, maybe Superman is a good guy. I'm going to start using my my genius for good. You know, Batman does it. Why can't I? But is that fulfilling? I mean, yeah, do we like that? that I, I, I'm not for sure me, that no. I love that. Me, no, but... I do know there are several people that love Lex Luthor and they love seeing this change. It's something different because Lex Luthor has been the same over and over and over. It's pretty much the same pattern, but now this is an evolution. We're seeing a different Lex Luthor. Now they may change it though. So in, in terms of distilling this down, I think we agree that the villain must be a challenge for the heroes. Yes. And we agree that there must be some inspiration of fear or some sense of jeopardy. But it sounds like we're kind of split on whether or not a villain evolves. And I can – this is an interesting debate, and we could take this further. But it sounds like in terms of distilling this down, evolution is not necessary for a villain to be compelling per se. No, I mean I I can see where Willow's coming from because like for example, in in my my novels – you know, the big main one of the big main villains is a dragon. It's not really going to change in, in much there. And in fact, it doesn't. And so that's kind of this overwhelming villain of with no change. It's, you know, and it's unstoppable. But then I have this, you know, these other side villains that are pulling strings in the background and they are evolving and changing. Um, I think you can use both. Uh, it just depends on the heroes and the story. So, so let's kind of like rein this in because we're running out of time very quickly. Um, we, we've talked about a villain or an antagonist has to be challenging, has to inspire fear and produce jeopardy. Is there any other necessary component for making a great villain slash antagonist? Um, by definition, an antagonist must keep the hero 
from uh, attaining their main goal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is the literal definition of what an antagonistic does. It doesn't mean... And so how we feel about the antagonistic is really a, a reflection of how we feel about the hero and the hero's motivation, right? Yeah. So if we like the hero, we think his motivation is good, we are not going to like the antagonist because he's keeping the hero from getting what he needs. If we dislike the hero or the protagonist, we don't like his motivation, we are much more likely to side with the antagonist. We don't want the hero to get what he's after, or we want him to have to change what he wants or whatever it is. And that's how we get these Byronic or anti-heroes. So it's yeah. really all about keeping our hero from maintaining or attaining his main goal. And I feel comfortable going back to the three uh, attributes I brought up at the beginning of this. And I think I've settled on some words. Uh, jeopardy, invulnerability, and irrationality. Uh, the, uh, and interestingly, uh, if a villain has all three of those, I think that's the least interesting villain. If they have two, that's a pretty good story. But the most interesting villain would be one that is only strong in one of those attributes. If they're incredibly deadly, but also very weak and quite rational, uh, you know, that's a really interesting villain. Uh, and that same thing would be true if they were strong in only one or the other. So it's kind of an inverse scale, if you will. I think we run into the same thing with heroes. You know, heroes can't have everything. They've got to have a flaw, just like yeah. our villains do. Because if it's too perfect a hero or too perfect a villain, we're not interested because yeah. it's not relatable to us. Even if it is scary because we can't understand their psychosis or their insanity, we can still understand it. And see that in ourselves, you know, sometimes because we've we've had those bad days and we can relate to that. But if they're like perfect across the board, we just can't. So by that logic, then a hero should have a flaw that yes. is potentially fatal. And every good villain should have a grace that is potentially redemptive. Yes. Nice. Nice point. I often envision the yin-yang, right? Where if, if we're going to go white hat, black hat here for a second, white rep the white teardrop represents the hero, but there's that dark spot in the middle, that flaw, that thing that makes them less than a hero, right? Yep. Um, and you have the dark, you have the black teardrop, which can represent the villain, but there is that white spot, that thing that makes them human or vulnerable or makes them... Uh, somewhat likable or, or understandable, right? Like there's something because to, to all of your points, if a villain is a pure villain, we don't buy that. I often think about the concept of the matrix, the, the humans were given a utopia and they couldn't believe it. So they didn't yeah. accept it. Uh, the same thing is true of heroes and villains. If something is purely that thing, it becomes hokum and tropish and we don't believe it anymore. Um, so, so we don't accept it, right? We, we, we push it away. Uh, as we get to the, to the close of this, I want to come back to that question of what makes, and we kind of started touching on this already. What makes a bad villain? Like what makes a villain that's a poor villain or, or, you know, we don't enjoy this villain. What makes a bad villain? A cheesy villain. I mean, uh, Batman what makes is, it cheesy. I mean, Batman is riddled with them. Condiment King, um, kite man. I mean, they're just king. yes. No joke. It's a thing. <laughs> I know. He 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 has two tanks: one full of ketchup, one full of mustard. Uh, I mean, these are 
these are like throwaway villains. Like they just like, oh, we got to come up with a villain of the week. Uh, this guy has a giant kite on his back and flies around and robs banks. Like there's nothing really there. You're That's right. why I really couldn't get behind the Jim Carrey Riddler. It just didn't have any gravitas. It was, it was too just goofy. Like, uh, yeah, just way over the board goofiness. Where the new Joker in the Batman, man, I really enjoyed that take of him yes it's not the same take you mean the new riddler in the batman yeah 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 um but i could get behind it i enjoyed it it had the character had motivation it wasn't about being silly and goofy and yelling joygasm and all sorts of other things so so far we have cheesy and goofiness i'm making that sort of like one quality of a bad incompetence when the villain defeats themselves because they're dumb Yeah, I'm going to tie you up and leave you in this room all alone from a trap that's really easy to escape from and assume you're dead. Oh, yeah, that's right, Dr. Evil. There is one other thing. I hate you know, the long diatribes where they're just like, let me tell you my entire plan. <laughs> he began like, monologuing. <laughs> yeah, monologuing. That's what oh, you that's got him monologuing. You got yes. monologuing. I think yeah. inconsistent as to consistent with myself inconsistent villains are a problem uh, inconsistent with their own moral compass because then we don't believe them and i said this is it's actually a problem i see in writing a lot people who are writing villains that make inconsistent choices with their character and that immediately makes us distrust the author and we no longer buy the villain at all for me, I, I, I'm very similar to you on this regard. I, I, I keep thinking of a specific example. For those of you who don't know, I'm kind of a horror movie fan. And there is a movie that did very poorly called Bye Bye Man featuring our personal friend, Doug Jones. Doug Jones! And Doug Jones! Uh, we love Doug Jones on the show. Uh, he, he he plays the Bye Bye Man. And I, I will let you guys go see this for yourself. But the but the takeaway that I took from that movie in terms of villain design is villains with no consistent rule set suck. Mm-hmm. Uh, for if there's no rule for their motivation, why do they do this thing? If there's no rule for how they operate, how do they do this thing? It then, especially when you're talking about supernatural antagonists, these are the worst kind it's not just about being unpredictable it's about there's no system there's no there's no um meaning to anything that they're doing you also can't defeat them and and all of it becomes pointless their motivation is pointless and whether or not you can defeat them becomes pointless so it's i hate villains that don't have some kind of rule set by which they're operating you know i when I was a teenager and first getting into RPGs, at one point, my friends and I decided to make an in-world Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to create a villain sheet for Freddy Krueger. We could not define his power set. We could not define his weaknesses or his stats because there was so much inconsistency from movie to movie. And we just we, we really wanted the idea of this really dangerous villain in our story completely gave it up because of the inconsistencies. It just wasn't possible to do it in a satisfying way. If we could have chosen him from even with even within one movie, I don't think he's consistent. Um, but if we had just settled on something, it would have been completely unsatisfying. It would have been the dime store version of 
Freddy Krueger, not the one we wanted to have in our story. Yeah, I mean, I was going to jump in here because I'm pretty sure some listeners are like, well, uh, the Joker's inconsistent. He's crazy. He's all over the place. But he does have a rule set. He is trying to break the bat. That is his goal. He will destroy everything. He will scorch the earth. But his goal is he wants to break Batman. And so there is still a rule set there. Yes. And, uh, and he doesn't just magically sprout superpowers. The yeah. whole thing about him is that it's his his twisted mind is yes. is what makes him dangerous. Other than that, he has no powers. Nothing special. Well, see, and that's the same that's the thing. Is so if we look at Batman's villains, the majority of them don't have superpowers cuz Batman doesn't. But we look at Superman, the majority of his villains have superpowers. It's it's kind of back to that that jeopardy as mm-hmm. well as it has to be a good foil to our hero. And and oftentimes looking at, at those two different IPs in Superman, many of them have superpowers because they too are Kryptonians or they've been affected by kryptonite or they've been introduced to technology from Lex Luthor or yeah. like like in other words, their powers make sense in the context of the world. Yes. We but villains that are seemingly uh, maybe not even seemingly Villains that prove to be invulnerable, cannot be destroyed, do not have a clear rule set, and do not have a clear motivation are the worst. Yeah. You know, in Avengers Civil War, or Captain America Civil War, excuse me, um, Vision asked a very good question that applies here. Uh, They mentioned how there was more and more instances of enhanced individuals causing destruction and mayhem. And Vision says... And, and, and it correlated with the Avengers coming together and more and more of the Avengers showing up. And he made, he made the point that um, power invites aggression, uh, aggression. I think is how he said it. Uh, and he said, we have to ask power ourselves. Power invites opposition? Opposition. Uh, is it opposition or? Yeah, okay, I, I'm guessing. I, I'm trying to yeah, remember. It was opposition. Yeah. Uh, and so he, you know, he was asking the heroes to consider, are they part of the problem? Is their existence and the way they operate causing them to have to continue to operate and fight bad guys? So I, I think that there's something to be said for that there with what you were talking about, the the Joker, Daniel, and uh, supervillains in general. Uh, I know that some of our listeners are just like vibrating in their skin right now because we got the quote wrong. Let me let me repair that right now. OK, we did. Uh, Vision's. Exact quote is our very strength invites challenge, which uh, I think that is that is like one of those sentences that encapsulates so much truth. Right. Because it cuts both ways. If you have an incredibly powerful villain, it invites challenge from those who would resist. But if you have incredibly powerful heroes, it invites challenge from those who would resist. Right. And and only Paul Bettany could deliver that line. Oh, gosh. Frickin Chaucer. Right. (laughs) All right. So we are woefully out of time. But just to kind of like encapsulate what we discussed, a a solid villain for your game or for your story invites or or is a challenge for the hero, inspires fear or jeopardy, must prevent the hero's goals, must ask, must act as an opposing force to the hero's uh, intrinsic goals, maintains the qualities of jeopardy and vulnerability and irrationality, but but 
the the more heavy weighted they are on one of those things, the better a villain they become because they're not the perfect villain. And as we discussed just now, one of the things that makes a villain terrible is being too perfect a villain, being invulnerable, having no rules, having no definitions, uh, cheesiness, goofiness, incompetence, monologuing, all that stuff makes villains lose their value in the eyes of your audience, be they players or readers. So that is the sum up of our discussion on creating villains and antagonists. Well, there it is. Uh, thanks for listening and tuning into our show. Uh, if you have any input or thoughts or ideas you would like to send our way, uh, we would love that. We recently got an email from a fellow listener, uh, Ronald, that uh, gave us some good in, uh, insight. Uh, just want to give a shout out to him. So please give us your, your input, your thoughts on what you believe makes a good villain. And, um, you know, villains are great. Heroes are wonderful. We, we clearly love the, this subject. We could talk more on it when we may um, in the future. Also, uh, just fair warning for those of you that are planning on going to uh, Fan X this year in September, we will be doing a live episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio from Fan X. Well uh, there will be other panels uh, we'll probably be sitting on, but definitely come out to see us if you're going to be there. And you can we will also it. have some small goodies, some small freebies that we'll be handing out oh, like yeah. candy. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, you can reach, go to our website, DungeonCrawlersRadio.com. Uh, you can find us on social media under Dungeon Crawlers Radio or DCR underscore show on Twitter, but the rest are Dungeon Crawlers. With that said, we'll catch you next time and choose the high ground. And of course, I won't be there because I will be in Hawaii and it is going to be awesome, but I will miss you uh, over there at Fan X. It's going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, that's all that's all I have except for this last thing. Stay fresh, cheese bags. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Catchphrase accepted. Oh. <laughs> I've been working on it. I saw it on the internet. I love it. Hey Daniel. Yep. I got a new job. I'm teaching literature at the local prison. Okay. Yeah, but it's full of pros and cons. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my crap. Ouch. I hate to say this, but I love the cheese bag one better. <laughs> <laughs> I That was the perfect thing to do after being called a cheese bag. That was, that was excellent. And... <laughs> Whether you are still struggling to build your antagonist or whether you think you've got the formula figured out, always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always.